Welcome to the Get More Math podcast, where we support teachers in their quest for long-term student gains. This is a podcast for teachers to share their passion for math education, learn best practices from experts in the field, and swap ideas for student success. This is community. This is Get More Math. Welcome back to the Get More Math podcast. I'm Derek Maxson, the president of Get More Math, and I'm here with Josh Britton, the founder of Get More Math. Welcome back, Josh. Hello, Derek. Hey, Josh, tell us a little bit about what's in store for us on this episode of the podcast. Well, today we're going to talk to Monique Nelson. She's a crisis counselor at Somerville High School. We thought we'd get the uh, perspective of a counselor to talk a little bit about what might kids be facing and teachers just in terms of their mental health as they've been removed from the classroom for so long and stuck at home. What are some of the things they're going through? And also, I should say, how, how can we help them? I think this is a very timely episode for us. The, in many parts of the country, we've begun to hear stories about how people are really struggling in shelter at home. And being able to, to care for the students in our classes is an important thing. Well, let's go straight to the interview with Josh and Monique. Well, welcome back. We've been exploring ways that the teaching community is dealing with the pandemic. What's life like for teachers and for students? Um, How can we continue to teach? How can we support each other? How can we support our students? And we thought today it might be interesting to talk to a counselor. So we've brought in Monique Nelson. She's a crisis counselor at Somerville High School in California. Uh, Good morning, Monique. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We are excited to talk to a counselor. So far, we've been speaking to teachers and an administrator. So you're kind of widening our our view, giving us another way of looking at uh, what we're all facing. So thank you. Um, Maybe we could start just by having you describe your typical job responsibilities, sort of pre-crisis. Sure, sure. Absolutely. So um, I am a crisis counselor. That's my title. And I work for a public high school in the foothills of Tuolumne County, which is in California. And my responsibility is to provide mental health services and support to students that are experiencing some mental health issues, uh, may or may not be a diagnosed mental health issue, but uh, to provide them with some support on campus to help them to do their job on campus and kind of just in life also to help them to become more academically successful, to give them that mental health support. We do on our campus, very unique campus, we do have a Connections Academy, which is a fine arts academy for seventh and eighth graders. So I do get to work with students from ranging from seventh grade all the way up to 12th graders. Obviously, you're working from home now. Um, Before we kind of get into the main topic, which is sort of mental health for students and teachers through this time, 
I'm just curious, your work environment right now, are you basically working through video chat? Yes, uh, that was something that the Board of Behavioral Sciences, who we kind of answer to as, you know, clinicians, um, when all of this kind of went down, we have really, really stringent HIPAA, um, you know, HIPAA rights and HIPAA privacy things going on. And that was kind of a scramble as I know everybody else was, was scrambling when this uh, shelter in place started, but they did lighten up some of those, um, some of those requirements so we can use some capacity of video therapeutic telehealth is what we call it so yes um, wait can i say that again video therapeutic telehealth (laughs) so yeah that's 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 kind of my my term i use but we could just Uh, say (laughs) vtth We could just say, I, say telehealth. Yeah. Yeah. So we're using I love that. acronyms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what, how I'm seeing students and how I'm supporting students. Is Are you finding it harder to identify needs because you're not there in person? Yes. Um, I'm finding it harder to reach them and have them want to participate in a session um, with me. A lot of times when I was on campus, everybody knew where my office was and they could just swing by. And with the high school age, it was sometimes just a casual swing by. Can Mm -hmm. I have, can I have a snack out of your basket? And then it would end up, you know, it would end up being, um, I need to talk about this type of a thing. So yeah, it's, it's a bit challenging. It's a bit challenging. That's that's a very sweet picture, by the way. I love I love the thought that you would sort of. I don't, it's not really baiting them, but that, that there'd be a comfortable <laughs> place they could go. There, ha, you know, there's a candy bar, and uh, before they know it, they're they're taking the opportunity to really get your help. Uh, I love that, um, and I can see how losing that that tactic would hinder your effectiveness, because because now you have to it's it it puts a, an air of formality. You go right from zero to 60. Like we're meeting to talk about a problem. Um, I can see how that would be heavier handed yes. or not intentionally just yes. harder to ease in. Sure. Let's get to kind of my main questions and, and really kind of using your expertise. I wonder if you could tell us, let's start with students. What would you say are some of the mental health issues that maybe normally exist, people normally face, but that would be exacerbated now that kids are, are they've been isolated for six or seven weeks, uh, removed from their peers, removed from their educational environment. Um, can you just comment on uh, maybe what the, the issues would be? Yes. So I'm experiencing, um, along with my colleagues, we're experiencing um, just that kind of lack of hope Um, especially with some of our teenagers who were looking forward to things that occur on a school campus. Um, So they're having a little bit like things like prom and graduation and just maybe spirit days and those things that come with um, being able to socialize on campus. So the loss of hope um, is, is kind of a thing that's been a general theme. Also, um, 
depression symptoms such as, well, loss of hope, um, maybe uh, looking at their sleep habits, loss of routine, maladaptive eating might be going on, um, anxiety. School is is definitely um, a outlet for some of our students. Their home life isn't isn't um, ideal for some of them, and and some of the students obviously um, go to school for some ideal interaction, although not perfect, but some social interaction from the teachers, from their peers, and that sort of thing. So um, they're missing out on that also in some cases. Uh, Let's see, what else? Oh, I think that um, just that loss of what they thought their spring routine was going to look like, just that sense of grief. And I taught, I've been, I really have been working on grief with a lot of my, well, a lot of my students and really normalizing the fact that grief doesn't just come from loss of a person, but it comes from loss of what we think our life was going to look like. And their life is turned upside down and it's not what they thought it was going to be. Well, I've, I've several questions from, from that list. Uh, let's start with the last, which is you mentioned grief. I'm curious to know, as you talk through grief with kids, do they start by knowing that they're even experiencing grief? No, they don't. And I think that a huge, a lot of my students, when we do talk about kind of stages of grief and how um, they're shocked that they kind of say, well, Mrs. Nelson, I, nobody died in that I love. And, and we, I try to try to normalize the fact that grief can come through loss of things also. So yes, they don't, they do not experience, they don't know. They really don't know. And I'm actually starting a grief group this week with some of the high schoolers and, you know, based on, based on what we've been dealing with, with our, with the COVID-19. So what are the stages of grief? Yes. So there is, there's, it's actually called Kubler-Ross grief cycle. And so we have some stages here and I always tell my, tell my students that we, they're not, we don't have to go from left to right. There's no order. There's no, there's no right or wrong ways to go through these, or there's no time limits that we, that one size does not fit all. But at first we have denial. So we kind of have that avoidance and that confusion, maybe shock and fear. And as I'm saying this, we can kind of apply the COVID, you know, to it. And then we may have some anger, some frustration underneath that irritation, maybe some anxiety. And then we kind of go into the bargaining um, stage, maybe struggling to find uh, meaning, uh, maybe telling one story about what's happening with them. And then we may have some depression. We are maybe overwhelmed, that feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, uh, flight, that flight or fight might be going on. And then acceptance. So we're exploring options of acceptance and we um, might have like a new plan in place and we may be moving on. But, you know, I saw something and I can't quote where I saw it, but I just watched a video And it showed a circle. And if you can imagine a circle and the word grief was written in the center and then all of these stages were put inside the circle. 
And hmm. then with, with the idea that we kind of are in that circle, okay, and that we kind of hang in that circle, right? Well, this person had made another circle around the smaller circle, and we kind of grow and adapt. It never really goes away. We never go out of the circle, but we grow around the circle. Hmm. So it becomes a part of you, but you are you are you are more than the the grief. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I see that as you help kids kind of work through grief and loss. There, there are two aspects of it that actually I'm wondering about just sort of personally from, from some people I'm talking to, how much of it has to do with sort of immediate loss, like the things you listed, or, or maybe a different way of putting it is, is there an element of long-term sort of projected loss? Like I'm, I'm helping somebody work through something where he's concerned about next year and two years from now, and actually sometimes the rest of his life because yeah. of all the uncertainty. Are you facing that as well? Yes, especially with my um, high school seniors and their plans that are kind of might be up in the air at this point. Yes, I mean, and I think that goes real parallel to that loss of hope and that feeling of we as humans are really, really lacking the ability to do much planning at this point. So yes, I definitely am. Him. And I, I see it in, in the teachers that I support also. And I don't support them therapeutically, but I support them with psychoeducation and, and I help them support their, their um, students. So, yes, it's, it's kind of that loss of hope. So that was interesting. You said the loss of hope sometimes is accompanied by a reality of not being able to plan. Those, those two go together. That's interesting. So you can't like say, well, next year I'm going to rise above this or get a job or go to college because perhaps there's all these different impediments, but also there's all these just uncertainties. Can you go to college or do you have to stay to college? And Right. Yeah. Right. Do you find that students are specifically worried about getting a disease? Um, I've never heard that from, from my students. Um, their, their main concern is not having their normal routine and life. My students do not express that to me. I'm not sure if they do, if they're they're feeling it or not, but I, I don't hear that from my students that they're afraid of the disease. Have you or in your area, have there been young people who've had to deal with the disease? Not to my knowledge, no. My guess would be unless it actually happens. Like the thing that is actually happening is they are removed from their normal environments, their routines are broken, they're not sure what's coming next. So they're experiencing those losses. But the health thing itself, I guess, unless it happens to someone they know or happens to them, for most of them, perhaps it's just not as much of an an issue. Yeah. And it might might not feel real to them. That's such Mm -hmm. an interesting point that I have not thought about too much. That is a very interesting point. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly the way I live. It's it's hard for me to experience a thing until I've touched it, felt it, seen it, seen it hit somebody I know. Until then, yeah. it's you know, it's just numbers, and it's New York City. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. hard to mm-hmm. to feel it. Uh, I wonder how and when that may change over the next year or two as the 
virus kind of makes its way through our population. Right. But who knows? Um, maybe as younger people, they'll get away with sniffles. I don't know. Right. And and I just on a side note with that is that I was thinking about this. Some of my students are kind of in that anger phase. And I think that mm-hmm. possibly if they did, I mean, I don't want them to know someone that's affected by this, but possibly if they did know someone or know someone that knows someone, they might have a little more perspective and may not mm-hmm. be kind of so angry. That's interesting. Yeah. Somebody they loved, somebody they cared about was actually dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So does their anger end up being directed at like the school or, or the government or something like that? I would definitely say the government and just kind of without making too much of a political statement, just kind of like the big, the big, the big cheese is, is kind of what I think the person on the, you know, um, they're, they're, they're mad. They don't understand. And they just, and I think what fuels that is that they're not seeing it, not seeing it affecting someone that they love or care about, or, and they're just kind of asking why, why, why is this happening? You know, is this really necessary? And just, just having those thoughts. Yeah. As young people, just something that it amazes me. I think back when I was their age and how life is tough to navigate when you're that age, there's lots of issues and then just kind of plop this issue on on their plate and i just have mad respect for them right now yes absolutely they're facing something unlike anything in recent history for sure in their generation well let's talk about a little bit teachers now you said you work with students primarily but you also have relationships with teachers and you are a counselor in in their world i imagine a whole bunch of what you said sort of just applies right right on to the adults um but I wonder, are there any, is there anything further you'd want to comment on for what, what teachers might be facing in terms of mental health? Right. You know, in, in kind of doing a little bit of uh, prep work for this, I, I, am, I am very blessed to have lots of teachers in my, my repertoire. My sister's a second grade teacher, and I had a chat with her, and it was really awesome. She just kind of, I wanted to make sure I was kind of, making sure that I was representing, you know, what the teachers are feeling. And with me supporting the high school teachers, they are just feeling, I think a lot of teachers go into teaching because they love that connection with, with their kids. And they love that kind of physicalness of being in the classroom or being on campus. And Most of the teachers that I'm supporting, and my sister kind of chimed in on this one also, is it's one thing to, you know, be able to, you know, teach a lesson um, to a student, but it's another thing to be able to go on campus and be able to lay eyes on your student and make sure, kind of do that mental status exam is what we call it in my field. Make sure that they're clean, make sure that they've been fed, make sure that they're on campus. Kind of, you know, teachers do so much, but to to be able to see your students and make sure that they are okay, they're present. And, you know, I think it's, it's tough to do that via via video. It's just that has been the biggest challenge for the teachers that I'm supporting. I, I, I know that when I was teaching and I taught for about 20 years, the thing that sort of was my, my fuel, my, my rocket fuel, 
was being with kids. And uh, basically for me, the great joy was seeing them learn. Often there were kids who hadn't learned very much. And then finally at this early high school stage with me, they were finally getting some traction. And it was that in-person, those aha moments, um, the delight that they would have in discovery of their own capacity. And so much of that was about being there, about the moment. So I think what you're saying, and what I'm kind of uh, saying as well, is they also are experiencing loss, yes. uh, loss maybe of a different, maybe a different color, a different character, but that loss would be where you're, would be a summary of both the students and the teachers and yes. what they're facing. Yes, absolutely. My, you know, I'm, I am not a licensed counselor, uh, so I'm not qualified to say a whole bunch of authoritative stuff, but uh, one of the things I like when it comes to loss is to just to call it what it is mm-hmm. and, and not to go right to, but it's okay because, you, you know, like I do like to think about positives and ways to handle loss and I like to look for the bright side. But at the beginning with loss, I, I like to just name it as loss. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that kind of sucks. Is, is is sort of my yeah my lead with loss. And, and sit in it with that person if you can, or just sit in it and just have it be what it is is so helpful and so therapeutic. Just to be able to just sit in that moment. And I think when we say you know it's okay, it's taking away the the we're not validating it it's not okay. It sucks sometimes, you know? And, um, yeah, I just think that that's such an important point that you made. Thank you for kind of talking about the various forms of loss students and teachers could face. Um, Mm -hmm. many of us are working with students as best we can phone calls, video conferences, what have you. So I'm just wondering what are ways teachers can listen for, think about, even maybe pro mm-hmm. for if, if it seems indicated signals right. that that a kid may be going through something that that's becoming serious that may even need some intervention. Right. So um, as I said before, teachers probably know their students pretty well. And I think listening for we all have kind of a baseline when it comes to sleep, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to even our mood, and our teachers probably know that baseline, uh, really paying attention to if they're, if they're getting a sense of loss of hope or loss of um, the loss of contact. If you have a student that normally would be maybe in high contact with you uh, via whatever your Google Classroom, that happens to be the one we use, but whatever your platform is, um, if, if you have that loss of contact with that student and their normally baseline is that they're high contact, that's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're kind of getting a, an a idea from your student that there's a loss of hope if they're saying things like, well, why is this, why is this even worth it? Or that sort of thing. Um, you know, that could be a warning sign if they are having hygiene issues, you know, if you're seeing your, your student on whatever platform you're using and you're seeing them and, and you've noticed that their baseline hygiene has decreased, you know, maybe they come to school pretty clean, whatever it is, but you're noticing that they're not brushing their hair or whatever, mm. 
you know, any signs of eating habits, what, whatever that means for them, as far as baseline, say they tell you they're not eating. I mean, that's, that's, that would definitely be sleeping habits. Also, I find some of the teachers are kind of contacting me and saying that there's a lack of a routine and um, their sleeping habits would be because they don't have to get up and go to school, physically go to school in the morning, that they're staying up kind of most of the night talking with a friend or playing a video game or whatever mm-hmm. it is, or watching Netflix or whatever it is they're choosing to do. And then they're sleeping, you know, the whole next day. So when are they getting their, when are they getting their schoolwork done and, and not reaching out? Like I find, um, there are some students that are really keeping in contact with their social, with their social group that they hung out with on campus. Um, and they're keeping in contact with them, but then there's other ones that are isolating. So that could be a warning sign also, and just, you know, self-harm or if they disclose anything like that to you, self-harm, um, any substance issues, you know, depend, it's all different for different students because we all have different issues, but those would be some things that I tell teachers to kind of keep an eye out for, for, um, if they need to do further referral to someone who can kind of assess assess further for that. That's a great list. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to choose one of them. That's of particular interest to me. Uh, let's go to sleeping habits for a minute. So I'm curious and maybe it's not possible, but what for like a, a late teen, what are the repercussions of sort of shifting a routine and now, you know, going to sleep at two or three in the morning and waking up at one in the afternoon? What are the negatives there? Um, and maybe what, what could parents do to help those kids? Right, right. Um, well, I think when we see lack of sleep in general, we may see irritability. Um, we may see students not having the capacity to stay, you know, on a routine because they're, like you said, they're going to bed at two in the morning and then they're needing that you know, whatever, eight, ten, eight to 10 hours, it's, it's different for all of us, but they're needing that. And so they're sleeping kind of their day away. Loss of motivation could be happening also because they're not having that normal routine. That was, that just is going to disrupt um, their loss of motivation, which could impact their learning also really. But I do see, I see irritability when students don't get Mm. enough sleep. I just really see that, that kind of, um, because we need sleep. We're like a houseplant, right? We need, um, sunlight, we need water, and then we need sleep. (laughs) That's that's absolutely true for me. Yes. Right. Right. (laughs) And for everyone. And so how parents could help is, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to be real with you. It's tough because at the later teens, they're, they're, they're trying to become independent. You know, they're that autonomy and that is, is kind of happening and they want it to be, they want to become independent. And so if we're telling, you know, we're taking our devices away from our teens or we're telling them there's a bedtime or there could be some backlash But I think what is most effective and has been effective with parents that I chat with is 
educating them, edu- sitting with their teen and educating them about the effects of sleep. Like in just like a, you know, it's important to get sleep. Did you know that that um, this is what happens to your brain when you don't get sleep or this may happen um, and then it would impact impact these parts of your, of your life. And just instead of like telling you, I'm going to take your device away at 10 o'clock or, or you need to go to sleep by 10 o'clock, like sitting with them and just sitting on that space with them and letting, helping them to understand why that's important. So you can, you can widen their, uh, their understanding and then they still make the choice. Sure. But then maybe if they have the, um, if they begin to experience some of the negative consequences, it's they have a context of understanding what's happening. Maybe they can identify what's happening, connect, maybe even change their choices. Yeah, I like that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and natural consequences are are a good thing. Like you, like I think that's kind of what you're saying. Also, just the natural consequences of yeah. It's so hard as a parent, just on a parent role. I was just going there. Yeah. I was just thinking. Yeah, you know, I. I, I have a love-hate relationship with natural consequences. I want them, I want them to be, as a par- speaking now as a parent, but as a teacher as well, I want the child to experience some pain, some difficulty, but not very much. You sure. know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and there's all these things where like the natural consequence, like of running out into the street and getting hit. Well, that's, you know, that's a natural consequence, but <laughs> you can't die. Uh, exactly. You, yeah, you can't let it happen. But somewhere in between that and the natural consequence of, you know, I don't know, um, not sleeping quite enough, there's sure. this gray area of difficult natural consequence. But, yeah, um, it's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so as you think about the various issues we've talked about and working with teachers, you said you do support your teachers. Do you have a like a kind of a nutshell go-to message for teachers right now? I do. And it may sound so generic, but from being in the classroom for, I was actually in the classroom for many years. And so I had this just mad appreciation for educators. I have, I want to just say to educators that you are doing an amazing job. You, when you got your credential, you probably had no idea unless you signed up to be a distance or a, you know, a a teacher that was going to do it through, through distance. Um, You had no idea what you were kind of signing up for and you are doing an amazing job. And I just want to say that I just, oh my goodness, give yourself grace um, support, support yourself. I know self-care is such a buzzword right now. And, uh, but I, I really, really think that just tapping into self-care and really having those boundaries as a teacher, because working from home can turn into like more than a 10 hour day or whatever, or eight hour day or six hour day or whatever. And, um, I just want to say that I just, I'm so appreciative and you're doing an amazing, amazing job supporting your students. Thank you, Monique. I think that's a great way to land. I really appreciated our conversation today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Monique Nelson for being with us today on the podcast. 
Wow, Josh, there was a lot of good stuff in that podcast. What do you think are some takeaways that we could use in summarizing this episode? I think my takeaway is that she framed what students and possibly teachers as well may be going through uh, using the word grief. And I hadn't thought of the loss that people are experiencing in that particular term. That's helpful to me. It helps me to understand how to talk to people I know who are depressed or angry, casting it in terms of grief and thinking through the stages of grief and the ways that people might be processing grief. I think it it probably improves my own empathy and also gives me a sense of, of how I can be a help to others. You know, that's good. And we have talked about grief here in, in our home. I happen to be married to a marriage and family therapist myself. And our senior in high school, especially, I think, has been dealing with the grief of the loss of that end of the senior year and just feeling like missing prom, missing the senior class trip to Disneyland, missing graduation, just missing friends and the fun times that they would be having as the school year winds to a close. And it really has been a grieving process in our in our family in this regard. So I particularly resonated with what Monique was saying there. And and I appreciate those who have come alongside our daughters to help them during this time. And that brings today's podcast to a close. Again, I'd like to thank Monique Nelson for being our guest today and Josh Britton, as always, for hosting. We welcome you back next time where we will have another podcast about distance education during the era of COVID. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to the Get More Math podcast. We would like to invite all our listeners to visit our website at getmoremath.com, where you'll find helpful information about how Get More Math can help you transform the math education experience through targeted mastery and cyclical review. We would welcome you to take advantage of our free trial, which is good not only for the remainder of this school year, but also for the 2021 school year. If you think this podcast would be helpful to others, please share it, post it on social media, or leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please send an email to podcast at getmoremath.com. See you next time on the Get More Math podcast.